0: And welcome to Disruptive Narratives Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Brittany Lewis.
1: And I'm producer Miranda Wilson.
0: In these episodes, we will be highlighting people who are impacted by histories and systemic processes of neglect and disinvestment, but do not have a seat at the table and may not feel seen.
1: This is a space for people that are in a place of radically reimagining a path forward, but not necessarily a space for those who are unpersuaded by the need for a better world where Black futures matter.
0: We are focused on sharing perspectives that are often unshared or unheard because they challenge what we think we know. In this podcast, guests are the experts of their reality. Stacy Bell is a daughter, mother, grandmother, gardener, photographer, actress, puppeteer, healer, leader, and storyteller. Stacy defines herself as an everythingist. Her work has been on Nicollet Mall, in church basements, and homeless shelters in the Guthrie Theater as part of Zamian Theater. Stacey Bell is a grower of plants and people. Had the pleasure of first meeting Stacey Bell. I think this is back in 2018 um, when I was leading and conducting the Illusion of Choice Report, which is studying evictions in North Minneapolis. And I had the honor of interviewing Stacy as she shared her story with me as she has been navigating the politics of housing and what it means to rent while Black um, in the city of Minneapolis. Um, and I made a friend that day, um, and we've been traveling together ever since. So I want to thank Stacey um, for being here with me today, now and in the future. Voices like Stacy's is why I do the work that I do. I'm an engaged action researcher that believe deeply in bringing those folks most often locked out of decision-making tables to the center I believe that women like Stacy are the experts of their reality and should be treated like that. Um, and I believe deeply um, in the power of testimony and the power of um, centering those voices most left out of our public policy conversations. So I'm thanking Stacy for being with me today. And I'm excited to talk more with you about what you've been navigating, trying to um, be your fullest self um, and what is often really compromising settings that don't always honor your black and brown bodies. So that first question, you know, I would love to ask you, Stacy. The report that we wrote called the illusion of choice. Um, we called it that for a reason, because choice is an illusion. And I recall distinctly um, that you described your early choices as you were seeking housing here in Minneapolis and the Twin Cities specifically. And I would love to hear from you more about what choice looked like for you um, as you're a young woman embarking in the world, you know, post-graduation. What was choice?
2: Choice was knowing that I had to be responsible, for the choices I had already made, like to get pregnant and have a baby. And then that must have meant, how are we going to live and, and where? And you know, it's a trip to be in the same line that you got government cheese with your mother and then be in that same space That same building, Sabathony on the south side, so old school, still there, where I even learned to swim and be like, I'm going to try to apply for this Section 8. And that day there was open application and there was a line down the 4th Avenue and beyond, I would assume. And we were all standing there so we could sign up to get some assistance to pay rent. And I have to clarify, I turned mine in. But I knew right away that I was going to keep living my life and not in hopes to hear from them again. I kept moving, and I don't know if my name ever came up because when I heard that they would be checking under their beds to see if there were men's shoes and you couldn't have men there and those were the father of your children and the men you were having relationships with and trying to build relationships, which lead to wealth and health. I, I couldn't like sit there and wait for them to help me. I just wanted to, like, have freedom. Do, like, and I knew I was going to pay for it in many ways, not just monetarily. Now that I think of it, you sacrifice lots when you pay your own rent and live your own way, because when you have an emergency, Hennepin County says you pay too much rent and They'll only help you if you move. And then you try to balance that information and say, you'll pay for me to move all these things <laughs> and rent a truck and get myself self all moved up and everything, but you won't help me with, what, one, $2,000 in a time where you can't reward a person for making it on their own after all this time and say, here, you're having an emergency. You try to pick them apart and break them down and, make them give you all this proof. And by that time of denial, I have figured it out on my own. So I think I tried to apply for emergency assistance in my renter's time, maybe once. Could have been like 2011. And I vowed I wouldn't do that again either because somehow a way always seems to come before.
0: You know, I really appreciate you you know, being open and honest about your experiences, you know, seeking housing. And what it sounds like to me is in this pursuit of your own freedom, um, you're also encountering what sounds like very dehumanizing processes. You know, one process is the Bethany that tells you that, you know, if you have an intimate partner there and if someone catches this person present, that your resources will be impacted. Another through Hennepin County Emergency Assistance, it sounds like whether it's the questions I were asked or the time in which their process takes place didn't support your ability to be free. And you talked a bit about economics and the economics you need to sustain your family. And I'm curious if you were able to share with us a little bit about you know, what pathways to economic freedom were you pursuing at the time in order to try to maintain a home,
2: Whew. jobs. There's been jobs, lots of jobs. And then one day, I s- said I didn't want to look at that little clock in the corner of my computer anymore because I've been doing admin work. I didn't, I don't know. Not much guidance and finding your way to careers. And yeah, I spend a lot of time working jobs and two jobs and going to school at night time and not having a relationship with my children to pay the rent to landlords, you know, who don't wanna fix anything or say bring you to court for the damaged deposits that end. You really didn't do anything wrong. You're always at the mercy. And um, one day I decided I was going to go do what men do, whatever that means. And so I picked, I got to go to North Hennepin Community College to this program of, uh, and this was at like 46 age, 46. They were letting you go and be exposed to every trade you, there is. And they took us all around to every trade, every J-A-T-C and I drove the big old rigs, dumped trucks and went everywhere, built a big brick wall. But I knew at 46 I had to think about my body and what would be easier for me to do. And so I decided I would pick electrician. And even though I had just typed for a lifetime, I had to use my math skills, which ended up being good enough for my brown body to get into the electrician program. I joined the union, and I got in there and started trying to earn some more money to hopefully not have to struggle so much. That seemed to be traumatizing as well. And then I really had a conflict of, like, how I was building up buildings and using up resources and how much more I wanted to build up people instead. And, you know, I kind of left that field worse off than when I came. But with a whole lot of knowledge, I'll never forget that nobody can take away. And so, yeah, I I figured out that my freedom was going to be me being able to see my kids, know my children, get there when I arrive, and what that was going to look like for me. And I found that in my freedom of figuring out what that looked like, I was less stressed and vulnerable about homelessness than when I was when I had two jobs. And I've never like felt more secure than I do now when I'm just like acting and gardening and doing all the natural things. I said to my friends one day at a retreat that I didn't want a job. I don't want a job, I have work to do. And so I've been like working. It's meant that I have time for me, time for my children, time for my grandkids, time to heal. Time to grow, time to share, time to learn, time to rest, time to eat, time to cook, time to do whatever it is I want to do. And somehow I'm still not homeless. I know that's not the norm because That's not the way the system is built for us to be. Well, if I'm not giving all my time and effort to the economy, then I will be homeless is the threat. But I've tried to do my best to challenge that and still be well. And so far, I'm still here.
0: I'm curious when you... uh pursued the electrician program um like what did you determine to be like the limits of that for you like what was appealing about the trade um but what did you find perhaps wasn't sustainable for you in that work
2: I found that I was a chance to like earn a lot and grow a lot of income in a short amount of time like I could go from 13 bucks to 26 in like three years time and carry ladders and drill through cement and concrete walls. And yet I'm like in this environment of like white males who tell me every day that, you know, you're black and a female. And I have to remind them that I know, I see myself every day and I have to hear how $36 or whatever their cap amount of income is, is like what I'm supposed to be, like, grateful for, and how I watch them limp around with their bad knees as I'm smelling poxy and having to be environments where we're all in the same space at the same time trying to get work done in buildings, like, that I'll never be allowed to come back into again, probably without some kind of sneer or if I'm even allowed in, like, at all people who look like me and so I knew that whatever cap amount in retirement and 401k and pension they were I would get in the end it wasn't going to be I had an unlimited amount of income that I was going to receive it's uncappable. it's like what freedom brings because I can do anything and when you're valued in your community and in the world There's ways to get paid for those things, and I've found ways to do those things in
0: freedom. Mm. I really, really appreciate um, the level of vulnerability you're sharing, because this question of success and our illusion of what success looks like is actually damaging a lot of us. We're working towards someone else's dream and not our own within a system or system of processes or institutions that really don't care much about our dreams or our humanity, but rather the production or reproduction of itself and the level of honesty and vulnerability that you're sharing about what you learned in your pathway to freedom really refutes this notion that being a full and productive human being means that you are working for someone to advance their agenda or their interests and not your own. I would love if you could share a little bit more about the work that you've been called to, whether it's connected to the gardening work that you do or the acting work that you do. What has called you there? How does it feed you? But also how does it feed the community?
2: guess you get hooked on pretty much getting paid to be on stage and be vulnerable and brave. And then the next thing, we're really preparing you for life because that's what all your moments are, like nerve-filling and scary. All those moments when you're showing up at the Hennepin County office and you have this, you have an interview, you have all these things that are determining your future and your livelihood and how you're acting your way through it. So your survival, it's like giving me the tools to be able to show up even through the nerves, like how those nerves can be used for good to get you up there, to tell you a story, to fight for your rights, to communicate with your children. Like it's prepared me for the rest of my life. Because it's like we get a script. Life is one, and we're acting it all out, you know. And it's like nobody knows you messed up if they don't know the lines. That's one thing I learned. And so, how you respond to you messing up if nobody knows a script, it's like you have so much power in your performance and the result. And I try to use my fear and anxiety to get up there and do it and that's what acting has done for me it's been able to give me a support system an avenue and a voice and a presence and some respect and a space if i didn't say that already Performing and storytelling is everything. There's this parallel in this growing gardening community that's trying to educate me and they keep talking about plants and what they need and it's water and nutrients and air and space and soil. Can't stop thinking about people in my community and myself every time how we need those same things and how my community is soil and how every time I go out to plant a seed in my garden I'm with my community and it's it's so much keeping me grounded in where I belong and I know I can make a difference even if I'm alone at home I can plant a seed in my yard And I can connect with ancestors and myself and nature and I can watch something grow and I can take that fruit and give it to my community and they can eat and I can live as I grow food and watch it go through its seasons. I can connect with how my community is doing and how they go through their seasons and how things die and what can come back and how amending the soil. They talk about so much and it's like, can't you amend our soil, which is our community? Can it be just that simple as taking care of a garden? and Can't you just take care of us like you do the plants? And that's what I'm hoping for. And that's what I keep planting seeds for so that in hopes that I eat it and can share it with my family and friends and I can be well.
0: Stacy has just made what, in our cultural context, a really radical analysis. It shouldn't be considered radical, but it really is. In many ways, it's grounded in this notion that capitalism only sees her as valuable based on her production. We are more than our production. She's also acknowledging that as being in a black body, and a black body that has been continually traumatized, exploited, and perhaps... The resource of her body drained, that it is radical for her to say, I'm actually not going to participate in the machine of capitalism, but I'm going to rest. I'm actually going to give my body reprieve. I'm actually going to grant myself the privilege of space and time. It's a radical precept that she's describing right now. It's, it's funny. I think the only other thing I can think of that popped in my mind around, like the, the privilege the time and space to think is like going to college. Right? So in theory, college is supposed to be like an extended childhood. Okay? And let's just be honest about historically who college was accessible to and who, you know, up until very recently were granted access to these institutions. They were places and spaces where the most privileged could go to think, to grow. So it's radical when a black woman says it. But for most white individuals, for my institutions, it is a given for white bodies to have that reprieve, to have that time and space, to think, grow, and heal. But it's not the same for a black body. I think everything she's doing um, is what she needs. It's what a lot of black folk need. Um, Dr. Joy Lewis has this um, quote where she'll say, there's never a post in like post-traumatic stress. There is no post. It's always, you're always being re-traumatized. And what's so radical about what Stacey is presenting is that she's resisting being a part of this kind of capitalist machine where you're only valuable if you're, there's some production from your labor that the state benefits from. And she's actually saying, no, what would benefit the most are my children, my family, because if I'm not well— I can't show up for them. And the sad part about it is most black women like herself can't show up for them at all because they're working two and three jobs. They're drained. They feel isolated in the context in which they live. They're forced to the low-wage sector. They're like a shell of themselves. That, that is a real context. So everything she said was very true, and it's radical. And even when she said, I'm doing this, and by God, I'm not homeless. Because she's choosing something radically far outside of what society expects her to do. And in most intents and purposes, she should be homeless. This is why she said that, right? But that was a risk she was willing to take. Imagine that. Imagine that just to get your sanity to heal and grow, you would risk homelessness to get that.
1: On behalf of Dr. Lewis and the production team behind Disruptive Narratives, I'd like to thank Stacey Bell for this conversation. We hope you've done your story justice. We invite you to check out part two of this conversation with Stacey Bell, right here. Disruptive Narratives is a production of KMOJ Radio and Ambers, diverse radio for Minnesota's communities. Featuring Dr. Brittany Lewis, produced by Miranda Wilson, edited by Justice Sanchez. Made with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. To find more of our conversations, search for disruptive narratives wherever you find your podcasts.
0: This is the Minnesota Native News Health Report. I'm Marie Rock. Are you looking to get tested for COVID-19? There are several no-cost COVID testing options available, including community and at-home testing. Find locations and order your free at-home test kits on the state website, mn.gov COVID-19. Getting vaccinated against COVID-19 is one of the most important steps you can take to protect yourself and your community. This week on The Health Report, hear from one elder about why he got vaccinated. Faven
3: Gerezkeher reports. I wear pants to my family. My wife just tells me which ones to wear.
4: (laughs) Frank Perro has been part of the American Indian Movement since 1973, and he credits their success to women.
3: AIM has never done nothing without some women telling us what to do. And I stress that every time I talk.
4: That was in part why Perro decided to get vaccinated following a meeting at the Native American Community Clinic last year.
3: I'm getting ready to leave, and one of the nurses says, Frank, how old are you? I said, at that time I was uh, 69. I said, I'm I'm 69. Here, fill this form out. I said, what's that for? That's for uh, vaccination? Oh, I, I, I ain't getting that. Uh you're an elder, you're important to us, and, and you're you you got you're vulnerable, you got all these, you got diabetes, you got this, and you, you know, she knows she knows my she knows my health history. And somebody else, some of my elders said, Frank, you gotta get this shot. So they all started harping on me. Uh-huh. Okay.
4: Perro was initially skeptical about the vaccine safety and now looks forward to getting a third booster.
3: I imagine we're, we're okay. I don't see nothing growing on me. I don't feel nothing. I suppose we're gonna be all right. We ain't gonna get out of this world alive anyway.
4: We are seated at Pero's de facto office on sunny days, the Powwow Grounds parking lot off of Minneapolis's Franklin Avenue. Caro and Lisa Bellinger became national co-directors of AIM in May of 2020, in the early months of the pandemic, and just days before the murder of George Floyd. At the time, the AIM Patrol mobilized hundreds of people to protect buildings throughout the neighborhood. Volunteers have since shifted to doing outreach on COVID prevention. They raise awareness about best practices and provide vaccines at powwows across the Midwest. —
3: Friends and family. Got COVID, and people got concerned and interested. So how can we help? It's just like anything else. It's it's when something hits home to a person, then they they want to get involved, and that's how something that's how things happen. It it don't matter. Who we are. We have to. We have to help each other. So the simple thing is, it, it starts off with when your family is hurting, you 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 want to help. When your friend's family is hurting, you want to help your friends. So with this COVID thing, it just expands out further. You want to help anybody that you can.
4: Perro says he doesn't push people about their vaccination status. Instead, he remains aware of different states' protocols and keeps up with masking and using hand sanitizer.
3: I don't, I don't think this COVID stuff's ever going to go away
4: for the Minnesota Native News Health Report. I'm Faven garaz The Minnesota Native News COVID-19 Health Report is supported by the
0: Minnesota Department of Health.